Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Yeah, and uh, today uh, we're going to kind of unpack the election results. Uh, what do they What do they mean? What's at stake? Um, how do we feel about it? Yeah, what to be what what the silver linings in here but and then also the the couple terrifying takeaways <laughs> you sound sound very <laughs> grim i was trying to i was trying to step into this with more of like an open mind of like uh you know uh, you know people are trying to do what they think is right for alaska and if i disagree with it then you know i, I don't know am i necessarily right about what alaska needs it seems like uh the uh what if what if the collective wisdom is is greater than my individual wisdom, right? I mean, you have to allow yeah, I mean, for that possibility. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Let's let's open. Yeah, we'll we'll keep that in mind. We could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, I guess to get started, Matt, you want to just kind of give us a quick rundown on some of the races and and what was involved and whether or not they uh, lived up to sort of the general expectation of what the results might be. Yeah. So. You know, the big marquee race of this election, obviously, is going to be the race for the governorship. We had an independent governor who ended up stepping aside in the last few weeks of the election. That ended up not being enough to, you know, shift momentum behind the Democrat Democratic candidate, Mark Begich, that he was backing. Um, things that always kind of looked difficult in that race, but, it, you know, I guess people, myself included, kind of got a little hopeful about, you know, looking at where momentum was going, where polling was looking like, and it looked like it was going to be tight. It wasn't. We now have Republican uh, governor-elect uh, Mike Dunleavy. Uh, so that was kind of expected, I think. Um, but what was not quite as, as expected was just how poorly the Salmon Habitat Initiative did. Um, that you know, We might can talk about that, about how it might have affected the other races. The really big change we're looking at is going to be the House, where it looks like Republicans have taken control again. So, um, so it looks like Republicans are going to be holding the House, Senate, and the governorship, which I think get them picking up all three is probably the big surprise of the election. Yeah, and actually, uh, one race you didn't mention was uh, Don Young and Elise Galvin. And I know Don Young's oh, yeah. a per- perennial winner. Like uh, he, Don Young's been serving since before I was born, which is getting farther and farther away uh, from the present day. Uh, and it was actually surprising to me that he he won again. I. I thought that uh, Elise Galvin ran a good campaign, and she really got out there and and like met went to meet people where they were, and um, you know she was relatively low name recognition to begin with, but I thought she really went after it and um, you know did the work, and uh, at the same time I felt like Don Young's star is really um, in decline, uh, so I was surprised that he beat her uh as you know as soundly as he did i thought mm-hmm. that that would be a much a much closer race and i thought that she actually really had a, ch- a chance i thought she would be within like one or two percent well i think the, the big i think the big surprise and probably what dragged a lot of people down was just how poorly the salmon habitat initiative did that's ballot measure one i th- yeah. i guess if going into election night if you'd asked me what you i thought it was going to do i i would have said it probably would have got somewhere between 44 46 percent maybe of the yes vote um, it got about 39%, I think, is what we're sitting <laughs> at. So it really did a lot worse than we thought it was going to. And, you know, I guess it was also the target. Of, you know, there's $12 million of advertising money that came in against it. Um, so, so do you think, like, in a midterm election that uh, that people came out to vote just on that initiative? Like, there was so much money behind it that, that that's what brought them out? 
it's hard to say. I don't know if that was a motivating factor. You know, the the the. I think one of the lines, whether whether or not it was true, I think one of the really effective lines that they had was that not only was this ballot measure going to affect big mines and stuff like that, but it's going to you know somehow stop you from ever crossing a stream while hunting or doing little bridge work or stuff like that. Which I mean, the secret is is that you kind of needed permits for that before, but yeah. Um, but you know, I think they they effectively kind of made it sound like it was going to really affect a lot of things in, in normal life. So, you know, maybe that was more of a motivating factor than we thought. Yeah. Yeah. They did a good job of that. They made it, uh, about kind of people's personal freedom. Yeah. And, uh, I think that, I don't know, my, my, you know, it's hard to know in this situation, but my perspective is that it probably did bring a lot of voters out who wanted to, you know, vote for their kind of independence and freedom. Um, we have a very, uh, like libertarian bent to our conservatism in the state, uh, and I think that those people who came out that maybe wouldn't have voted, um, you know, they would also vote for Don Young and yeah. Mike Dunleavy. And I think that just really put that, you know, it, it put it put it over the top for the Republicans. I, I don't yeah. know if um, we'd see the same result if we didn't have that ballot measure out there. Well, I mean, the other motivating factor, right, of course, is a governor who's promising a $6,700 PFD payout next year. So that's uh, uh, yeah. that that might be a motivating factor as much as as much as uh, Alaska is libertarian. It sure does like its uh, annual uh, oil wealth payouts. Yeah, we're a real uh, scavenger hunt of uh, ideals here. Aren't we? <laughs> yeah. um, so the uh, um, permanent fund thing, like, is that? Is that like a real thing? Like, am I going to get my am I going to get my check in the mail here pretty soon? Well, so that's like where you know, as I think these elections, uh, especially when you see kind of a sweeping uh, Republican you know majority take over, um, I think you would you would kind of think that maybe they're um, empowered to do their uh, policy platform right away. But I think right there's no one know, to the, stop them. Yeah, there is, right? Except for themselves. That's the big thing. So, like, you look at these majorities in the Senate and the House, you know, you got to remember that Republicans and Democrats earlier this year voted to um, put the PFD cut into state law. So, you have a lot of people who thought, you know, six, seven months ago, eight months ago, that this is a really good idea, that we need to be reducing the PFD. This is a sort of the fiscally sound policy. And now you're going to have everybody that's going to be dealing with balancing that policy with this kind of these campaign promises so um you know we've already seen the house republicans this sort of fragile uh 21 member majority that comes out and kind of doesn't really uh promise right away that it's going to be on board of the pfd it says it's going to be taking that issue under advisement and so i don't think there's going to be a big rush to see any of this right away so i think um, people who are really um excited for uh, this PFD might be kind of like the people waiting for the wall, that they still might be waiting for it in a few years. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. The other side of that is that it might be a little bit of a like backdoor Mackey plan. Like the the Mackey plan was, a uh, um, you know, kind of the, I think the early 2000s, late 90s, this uh, legislator wanted to just pay everyone out, whatever it was, $24,000 and just be done with the, you know, permanent fund checks. Um, and I feel like if you, does if you, run through the PFD a little faster if you cook through it by making these back payments and uh, burning up the um, earnings reserve account then pretty soon it calcul you know it doesn't matter what the calculate the calculation is then zero and then it's easy to just say like well that's it no more PFDs and then you don't have to worry about it anymore 
Like, so maybe it's a way to accelerate the process intentionally to get us down to not having a permanent fund. Yeah, that's a big, I've heard this sort of thinking too, actually, that there's kind of a, a school of thought here on this, on the PFD that it's like, yeah, let's, let's burn through it as fast as we can, because it, it sort of, I mean, it has um, allowed Alaska politicians and Alaskans in general to kind of avoid having any sort of real discussions about the shape of our state, the future of it, the kind of level of services that we want, the level of taxation that we might want to be able to pay. Um, we've kind of been able to live in this sort of fairyland. And I think a lot, there's a decent core of politicians in there that are really kind of fed up with that, but I think don't see any way to solving that until the PFD's off the table. So, you know, yeah, so maybe, yeah, maybe you get it off the table. Maybe, um, you know, we were into the last three or four years of it here. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm actually, now that I've said that out loud, it sounds pretty ridiculous that anyone's like really thinking about that. I think it's just sort of like an easy lever into people's hearts is like, here, have a few thousand dollars for you and your family. Yeah. I don't think there's a whole lot. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's a whole lot more thought about the PFD right now than it's a really good campaign line. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of campaign lines, um, it, I, I actually interested in like what other promises were made. Um, like, so we know the PFD thing, what, what other things did Dunleavy promise? Like, what can we look forward to here? Um, the list isn't very long, surprisingly, uh, for a candidate who has skipped out on a lot of the debates in the last few uh, months of the campaign. Uh, we don't really know a whole lot about what his campaign is going to be. So the other big thing that he's talked about is he really wants to repeal Senate Bill 91, which is, uh, for people who don't follow the legislature super closely, that is uh, the kind of sweeping criminal justice reform bill that the legislature passed a few years ago. Um that, you know, was looking at kind of restorative justice and all these sort of new ways of doing policing um, that also seemed to kind of come at a really bad time when, like, crime in general was going really up. So it became a scapegoat. So the governor-elect Dunleavy has promised to repeal this bill and makes Alaska completely safe again. So they don't need to lock, basically, from my understanding, is you don't need to lock your doors anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's that was a real issue during the campaign. Like, crime is... Uh, at least in the region that I'm in and the city I'm in in Juneau, it's uh, the perception is that crime is like running rampant and out of control and, you know, neighborhood neighborhood watches are on red alert. It's been it's been pretty real here, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, from and I grew up in this community and and my grandma never locked her door. We didn't you know. We didn't lock the door unless we left town for more than a week. That kind of thing. But do you think it's this legislation, though? I mean, that's the that's the sort of the promise they're making is that it's all due to this bill. That no, but that was a that was a nostalgia for this like old time Alaska that people tapped into during this race. Um, And a lot of a lot of people are, a lot of people would love to live in a place where you can leave your doors unlocked and not have to worry about theft. And so, um, I think seeing the crime rise is you know you see a problem Mm. and. And you want to and you want to fix it. I don't know that they can fix it, but it's it's a nice promise to yeah. make. And then that's about it. Um, he's promised to oh, cut yeah. two thousand positions that don't exist. Um, he's promised to defund a study that isn't funded, and and to fire all the climatologists. Yeah, which we employ one, which who's actually paid by not paid by the state of Alaska. So. As we have a we have a climate advisor, um, so we can get rid of her. But, Wait, um, is the climate is the climatologist who gets paid? Was it federal money that he gets? Or yeah, almost get, mostly. Yeah, almost entirely. So will they will they be fired anyway? So that person is it, well. So okay. So I'm getting really nerdy into the budget now. 
that yeah. person is actually funded in the university's budget. So you can't the way the legis the way the university is set up is that um, the governor and the legislature can't tell the university how to spend their money. So um, oh, okay. they just give them a big check and they do with do it do with it what they want. And uh, so he can't target that climatologist, but he can target the governor's climate advisor, though. I was on uh, the uh, ASUAF, uh, the, the student government in uh, Fairbanks, and so I actually kind of remember that battle. I didn't know this was a university employee, but I remember that battle of like the legislature always wanting to get in and and fix things uh, and do a lot of micromanaging, mm-hmm. but that the pro- that the entire university is really set up as kind of an independent thing that they just get to fund. Right. So that's going to be yeah. um, some really interesting things where you know that's kind of one example of where like maybe the rubber meeting the road. Uh, it makes it a little more difficult to deliver on some campaign promises than uh, than everyone is hoping. So I have a question about the 2,000 unfunded positions. Um, are those like positions that people are kind of rotating through or are those just sort of like empty positions? And how does it save money to eliminate a position that is not filled and no one's being paid for? So, well, first of all, it doesn't save any money. Um, so there's actually, there's a, there's a couple hundred, I can't remember what exactly the number is, but there are positions that are funded and aren't filled and that's you know the trooper troopers is the big one where you know the big problem is that we don't have a great retirement system in alaska and we train our troopers really well so they get trained through and then the young ones especially say hell looks like our uh schools are going to be in trouble and all this other stuff so maybe i'm going to move to a different state that doesn't have a huge financial uh fiscal trouble so you're having a lot of people it's been difficult to keep some of these positions open but the 2000 positions that he's talking about is this thing called vacancy factor, which is just this really boring thing. But basically, it's, it's just a number that they have in the system that, um, yeah, allows people to sort of transfer through. It's just kind of authorization that's on the books, but it's not necessarily um, something that uh, is, is you know, any money is going to. It's sort of saying, like, you know, uh, you have multiple positions in there. So if somebody gets fired or something like that, they can kind of swap people through. So. I, I was talking to a state employee not too long ago um, about those unfunded positions and um, the idea that like these positions aren't being filled ties into the idea that um, and, and that you can cut them and save money is is tied into this idea that um, politicians are basically unwilling to cut programs. But at some point when you diminish a program down to like one or two people and they that program can't function or fulfill its mandate like what's the point of having that program um but there's kind of this political cost to eliminating programs so so instead of actually like having a conversation about what programs we want to keep and which ones we don't want to keep we're just sort of doing these sort of blanket um you know either cutting departments by a percentage or eliminating these unfunded positions without any regard to like where they exist um i mean that's that just seems like a problem to me is there any chance that we'll get into actual discussion of like programs this year i mean i think it's going to be difficult to really force that discussion but i think um you look at how the house is coming together um you have co-chairs um tammy wilson and uh, lance pruitt who are both known as pretty conservative people tammy wilson especially um has done the sort of things where she's rolled up her sleeves and and cut positions and cut programs and all this sort of stuff very few of them in the past that she's made of stuck yeah um because they're so far right winging so far into the right wing um but now we have republican chambers of you know every republicans are in charge of everything so yeah. and and you have a governor who's on board who's not necessarily going to veto 
anything and has an ability to line item below whatever the legislature is doing. So you have a lot more possibilities for big cuts here. It does seem like they're kind of teeing her up to be the uh, blade on the bulldozer. And uh, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting. Like she'll be a, she'll be someone to really follow closely this year and see, um, you know, what she's looking at, what she's talking about, because I, I think you're right. I think she might be the one that's going to be the, the, you know, hatchet woman in this case, um, mm-hmm. go in and clean things up. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. and that's the, that's, you know, when we get into the reality of what we've, what, what Alaska has elected now is, you know, it's not just this promise of a, of, of a $6,700 dividend, but there's all these kind of other things that are going to be coming in along with it, so which is, you know, um, you can count on there being anti-abortion legislation. You can count on there being a kind of a, of a re-escalation of relationships with Alaska natives in the state. Um, yeah. You know, a big one of the other kind of platforms that uh, Governor-elect Dunleavy's talked about is closing rural schools and, a, you know, a boarding school hubs and stuff like that and, uh, and that's and that's that's hugely disrespectful of our history of boarding schools right like that's right and this is also a, a guy who says that alaska should be english only so yeah um so that's it's all, sort of all sorts of fun little things that he, are he's coming, coming he out. said that he's uh, dunleavy said alaska should be english only when we have like living active indigenous languages yeah yeah so that was a nice little thing that appeared in the, like the last weekend of the election uh is that it was a it was a forum from about july um where uh both um kevin meyer lieutenant governor-elect kevin meyer and uh and a governor-elect mike dudley were asked should alaska be english only and both of them said sure yeah that wow was basically the answer. and and kevin meyer said something along the lines of uh uh, they those people should learn english before they send it to the schools that we're paying for so this is really horrible but i hope that they oh god i don't even like i kind of hope that they weren't even thinking about alaska natives because that's like i mean like which is also awful they kind of weren't if you kind of look at the context of it it was definitely like within immigrants but still i mean like it's awful horrible i mean it's awful to not think about it it's awful to not think about it it's awful to not think about it but it's also awful to like if i don't know it's either way it sucks yeah, I mean, both of these guys also voted, you know, to make, to add all of the Alaska Native languages to the state's official Native languages list. You know, I guess, yeah. hopefully, at best, we could hope that they're just pandering to a right-wing audience. Um, but, you know, that our right-wing yeah. audience is also who we elected, so. Well, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, okay, tell me about, I, I think one of the, there's, there's two big things. Like, I know there's going to be a lot of, like, social stuff that, um, that they try to pass, it's going to be, it's going to get people up in arms. But I think kind of the two bigger things to me are, um, and the two things that seem more permanent are the ideas of uh, how redistricting will be handled and um, and also the sort of previous attacks on the Judicial Council, which could um, really impact the shape of Alaska's courts for, for a long time. Yeah, so... Let's talk about redistricting real quick. Uh, I know we want to talk about it uh, at more length in another episode, but kind of the the highlight right now is that you know we'll have another census in uh, twenty twenty, um, and the way Alaska's redistricting board works is you know we have a one U.S. district, so that doesn't matter, but uh, we have all these um, state house and state senate seats, and so those are redrawn every ten years, um, and the 
group that gets to pick them is this uh, governor, uh, House Speaker, and Senate President, and uh, Supreme Court Justice, uh, Chief Justice, get to pick um, the members of this board. So, um, so the governor gets two, everyone else gets one, um, and so now we're going to have four of the five seats will be Republicans um, choosing that. So yeah. That's another thing to be looking forward to. Um, it got really. I covered the redistricting last time around, and it um, they can get, they can do some pretty interesting um, and kind of sleazebally things with that, as far as putting together representatives that you don't want or drawing districts very carefully to uh, move someone's house out of a district or something like that. Um, right. So stacking and packing, and you're you're creating districts where. Uh, maybe two of your opponents have to run against each other, and so you eliminate one of them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, gerrymandering so is really the and also the thing. And, and also, but yeah, I mean, no matter who took control of of the governor's uh, seat and the you know seats in the house, and uh, there would be uh, accusations of gerrymandering. It's just kind of this thing that happens every yeah. ten, ten years. We get to like have the big gerrymandering argument. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't this time around. We don't have there's, you know, I guess I was hoping for some balance in here. Uh, I, I really I'm really interested in redistricting and, and how the that sort of the mechanisms of if it work. And and uh, yeah, it's sure better when it's not one party drawing the whole thing. Yeah. So tell me about the, the courts. I'm really like I know that like Pete Kelly and some others were working on um, really aggressively trying to change the shape of the Judicial Council. And that's the the I believe that's the board that appoints kind of Supreme Court justices. Is that how that works? So the Judicial Council is this group that kind of helps select. It's a nonpartisan group that helps select our judges and recommends them and reviews their performance and, and recommends or doesn't recommend them for retention. So um it's kind of a quiet, it doesn't really get a lot of attention. And that's because basically that everyone on the positions on the job so far, including people like, um, you know, Joe Miller's wife have taken the job really seriously and, uh, and been really fair with it and kind of put aside a lot of the partisan um, stuff. So that could, they are, have talked before about rebalancing and adding new members in, in a way to basically kind of force it to be more urban centric potentially. Well, it also puts it under the direction of the legislature. It makes it less of an independent uh, arm of of the government, right? So the idea is that you have this balance of power, and if you shift uh, more judicial council seats to the purview of the legislature and the governor, then that gives them more power over that arm of government, which is not necessarily, uh, you know, it doesn't create a, a good balance and a good system of checks and balances. Yeah, so all sorts of fun stuff is coming out of this new uh republican leadership uh already so um all sorts of stuff to keep us up at night um what the the good thing the silver lining i guess with at least that element of it is that it is very difficult to get um ballot initiative or uh constitutional amendments on the ballot um it requires two-thirds of each chamber of of the legislature uh so um it's that's a majority that or a number that neither republicans don't have in either chamber right now um, so you would expect at the very least for moderate Democrats to kind of shy away from some of these issues. I think when school vouchers came up last time around, you couldn't even get a lot of the moderate Republicans on board. So, you know, these are, these are some pretty far out ideas. I think the only thing that, um, the only real potential to change our constitution is going to have to do with the PFD, I think. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that's reassuring. <laughs> what, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What other kind of like, uh, 
I don't know. What other silver linings are out there? What what what's uh what can I be excited about aside from my uh, cash money payout that I may not get? Yeah. Well, yeah. You could use that. You could use that to move to another state, I guess. Well, I don't. I'm not going to do seen that. Seen people I'm, talk about that. I'm here for the long haul, Matt. I'm. Uh, so I mean, I, one of the big things that's going to be, I think, it is a good silver lining out of this election is that we do have now a record. We've smashed the record for number of women going to be in the legislature. I think the previous record was twenty or is nineteen, and at least five more were elected on on Tuesday. So three additional Republicans and two Democrats will join the legislature. We have um, just the third ever uh, African American state senator going to be serving. Um, LV Gray Jackson from who's my senator from uh, uh, downtown uh, Anchorage. Um, so yeah, you have like some changes in, you know, along the edges here that I think are, are really promising as far as. Um, you know, a little more diversity um, in in our in the people who are uh, seen over us, I guess. Yeah, and actually, the um, the uh, transition team that they announced for Governor Elect Dunleavy's uh, uh, administration is is almost all women. I think it's what is it like six out of seven or something like that. It's uh, yeah, a lot of the policy advisors I think are more um, are men, but there's quite a few women who are serving as kind of the core structural pieces of that group. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's good to see, and that's a, a positive thing. Yeah, and your well, stickers were popular. That My stickers were popular. Yeah, it was, it was uh, that was a lot of fun. I have a lot of, like, mixed emotions about it now that the elections are over because I feel like I I, I wanted them to be tied to something that, that I was really proud of, like a good shift uh, that I felt like was going to, um, mm-hmm. you know, be a positive shift for Alaska's future, and I feel like we're, we're kind of regressing. We're sort of seeing more of the same that we've, you know, this is, we're just reliving the like Murkowski, Palin, Parnell administration. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Hey, Parnell's back as the senior policy or senior advice, special advisor on the pipeline, actually. So it's a tough election to find silver linings in, but I think, unless you're a Republican and you're really happy, unless you're Republican. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, one of the things I'm actually a little bit worried about is the, like they've talked about selling off land. Um, they sell, you know, that's land that, is our common uh, resource, and uh, it, I, if they do sell off land, I hope it's not just kind of willy nilly, and uh, and it needs to be done in a way that is good for Alaskans, and uh, you know isn't just going to bring us in a quick shot of money and sacrifice something that we that is irreplaceable. Oh bummer, man! You're bumming me out. I'm trying to be positive here. Sorry. I think it is easy to look at this election and a lot of elections and sort of say like oh, you know, this progressive values have completely lost and will not be represented. But you look at the House and there's like 19 of the 40 members are going to be on the progressive side of things. So, you know, they're not going to be able to get everything done without some sort of help. Um, So, you know, at the very least, I think you're going to be looking at some good sort of fights, I think. Um, You know, the the numbers are still going to be difficult, but it doesn't stop, um, doesn't take away the platform for these these groups to be able to share their ideas and, and at least try to engage in it in it and i think um you know i think the numbers are never are, are not as as sweeping as anybody thinks on either side so i think um i think hopefully that there'll be still some room for bipartisanship and still some room for those kind of discussions that we all sort of like to see happen yeah and when it really boils down to each individual issue like there are a lot of people within each party that disagree with each other and that's um, you know, th- we don't often see that. A lot of that happens behind closed doors. But there, there will be people advocating for for our state's interests and not just for their own interests or the interests of their party. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Good. Good, good. Well. Excellent. Well, I mean, I, okay, so here's one thing, though. I think it is really incumbent upon every Alaskan who, um, you know, like, people are always like, have this feeling of what can I do? Uh, how do I, how do I help? How do I participate? And, and it, it can be kind of a despairing, uh, despairing position to be in, to feel like you're, you're on the outside of this thing looking in. But I think that one thing that we can all do is that we can all just observe a lot more and we can all be part of the conversation. Um, because it, the more we watch this public process, the more that they are held to account. Um, we're living in a time when journalism isn't quite what it was. Um, and uh, that's not to say there aren't great journalists doing a great job, but they just don't have kind of the fiscal resources um, that they did. And so, uh, you know, we need people out there watching gavel to gavel and we need people writing their um, representatives and, and participating in the process, I think, is is really what we do now as, as individuals. Mm -hmm. And you, you can look at even look back at recent times. You know, I think people can feel like, Oh, you know, they have the votes that they need. They don't they don't want to pay attention. But, you know, you look at recent votes and fights in the legislature, you know, we uh, we passed stuff like the the native languages bill when it was Republicans in charge of both chambers. Yep. Um, and so I, I think, yeah, the, the the ability for that sort of impact, especially, you know, um, has has an impact, especially on kind of, um, you know, it's not just on the moderate members, but, you know, I think a lot of conservative members will listen. I think, you know, ultimately these are still um, people and a lot of them don't um, have the same kind of like dyed-in-the-wool partisanship that um, that there is on the federal level. So yeah. you can definitely see some some in, some impact and some influence from the change. Yeah, it's a small, it's a small, small state and we all have really powerful relationships and, uh, you know, we're all one degree away from... Uh, from these decisions. So it's, we can really reach yeah. out and touch them. Yeah. The other thing that's important to remember is that like, this is all speculation. Like there's not necessarily like some great evil that will sweep across our land. And there's, you know, some of these things will and won't happen. Um, and the future isn't written yet. So let's just uh, take it one step at a time and um, let's not make any assumptions about, um, you know, ill motives or anything like that. I would agree. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. That's our episode. Um, we hope that you pay attention to the legislature this year and uh, keep tuned into Alaska politics. Uh, a great place to do that is uh, uh, Matt Buxton runs a, an awesome blog called uh, The Midnight Sun. Matt, how do they find you? Yeah, you can find us on Facebook at Midnight Sun or uh, online at our website at Midnight Sun AK. Don't forget the AK.com. Okay, and uh, you can find me at Alaska Robotics on Twitter uh, or in the in the hashtag AKLEG. AKLEG is uh, mm -hmm. that's where Matt and I live, and uh, it's a great place to follow a lot of journalists who are following a lot of policy very closely. Um, I've learned a ton from the people kicking around ideas and and conversations in that in that area. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have other spaces, Matt, that you communicate with people? Are you pretty active on like Facebook or anything? Or is there? No, like yeah, a... Facebook, Facebook, and Twitter. Twitter's yeah. my main sort of outlet. Where I'm at at is uh, at Matt Buxton. Um, yeah, I think that I I just love the the Twitter world a little bit. I think um, there are a lot of sort of citizen armchair politicians there that. I think do do a good job at kind of unpacking things and sort of talking about things and and keeping an eye on what's going on. I think that that was really useful. That's always been a really useful resource for me 
is to be able to look at what other people are watching because when the session gets rolling there's meetings going on like at the same time and oftentimes people will be tuned into one one of them so. yeah yeah it helps you so you know when to like go what to go back and look for later yeah cool. yeah all right well uh i think that's it goodbye alaska yep goodbye